Horde of Notions is brought to you every week by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering cards, singles, and products. Check us out at FaceToFaceGames.com where you can pre-order Gate Crash singles, boxes, fat packs, and more. Good evening and welcome to episode 65 of Horde of Notions. I'm your host, Chris. With me tonight, just two of the regular hosts. First of all, it's Will. I forgot the clever intro bit, I was going to say. That's probably a relief. We also have Travis. Hello. That's pathetic. Hello. This is a slightly different from our normal format. All we're going to talk about today is Gatecrash. Uh, we're not going to do any shout-outs, any moments of geekery, or anything else except talk about new cards and the new set and how we feel. It's going to be a very and short cast, so let's start, and let's talk about Gatecrash. And we're done. That's all. <laughs> I don't think Will is a fan. <laughs> no, Will is not a fan. We're going to start off by talking about its impact on Standard. Uh, we'll be doing another episode in a couple of days talking about its impact on Modern. So overall, what do you think of the set for Standard, Will? Uh, I think for Standard it offers some pretty decent... Uh, a pretty like some some cards that certainly add to decks that exist, but also uh, there's enough say new cards that don't really fit anywhere that will certainly spur some creativity from people. Travis, I think it's a mixed bag. I think there's some really good cards and abilities, and I think there are some that just aren't very interesting. What do you think of the level of hate in this set? Do you think there's, uh, they've gone too overboard on it? I kind of get the feeling that there's a lot of it that's really irrelevant. Like, the, I mean, the one card that comes to mind is Glaring Spotlight, right? But that's not actually an answer to Hexproof Dudes. You might as well just run a wrath. I like the way Sam Black put it. A lot of people were reading it upside down. Yeah, there, there's that too. Like, the, I don't know, the card seems very much like it has two abilities that don't actually go together. Well, they do in flavor-wise, if you think about it, right? I like the flavor of the card. And in, in Limited, you have a great reason to pick it, because the, that second ability just wins you the game. Oh, agreed. But in terms of, like, you know, uh, your creatures your opponent control no longer... Well, not no longer have hexproof, but it basically comes out to the same thing. They can be targeted. And then your creatures being unblockable is... Very different on the spectrum scale. Well, think of, think of it like this, Will. There's this great big spotlight glaring on you. It's blinding you so much that you can't you can't hide in the shadows like you're hexproof. But when they sacrifice it and turn it off, you're still blind, so their creatures get hexproof and unblockable. No, I, I get it from a flavor standpoint. I don't get it from, like, a mechanic standpoint. Maybe they build it yeah. flavor first. No, they built this card hoser first. As I tweeted to Aaron Forsyth, I think they should have just called this card Maya Koopa as a playtest name. <laughs> yes, and Aaron so, Forsyth went, oh, dear God, not this guy again. 
That's <laughs> for squirrels this time. Unblockable squirrels for the win. I've done that before. Oh my god, I just remembered what I was going to say for the intro, and I can't believe I forgot it. Oh well. That's alright, save it for next time. So we've each picked five cards that we like, based on the impact we think we're going to have, they're going to have uh, in standard. Will, you want to start with your number one overall pick? Number one over. okay. Uh, well actually, the number one overall pick happens to be the best card in Gate Crash, and it's actually a sleeper card that no one's on, but... Trust me, it is. Uh, it's Krakenura. <laughs> and is it, the reason is, ugly, is it? The, the reason it is the best card. Like I think this card is just going to see the most play across all the formats. It's it, like it, I mean, it's pretty much a legacy staple right now. Like it's going to go up to like ten bucks. No, I'm just kidding. The actual reason it's the best card is because the creature type is Crocodile Frog. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a Melton John song? I mean, that's Crocodile Rock. But nice try there, buddy. Uh, no, my actually the first pick I have is Unexpected Results, which uh, for standard I get the feeling, uh, especially in the Omniscience deck, it's how unexpected. Gonna, it's going to be a mainstay, just for the fact that for the most part you're running essentially like small ramp spells like Farseek in that. But if you can, you know, play out your Unexpected Results and hit, I mean, the dream would be Omniscience. But, you know, even if you hit a Planeswalker, right, uh, which you can do on turn three, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty happy with, say, a Nicol Bolas or a, a Garrick uh, or some other Planeswalker on turn three. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a way you can break this with Worldfire. No, shut up. <laughs> think about it, Chris. And, I mean, I mean, at worst, right, it's, it's a card that ramps you a land, and you get it back for next turn. And the other thing to think about, like, Cascade has proven to be a very strong mechanic, and this basically just cascades the top card of your deck, right? Right, it's not much worse than some of the Cascade spells in that regard. But it ca- cascades anything, though, that's a little bit... Do you think if this were legal now, Omnidor Thragfire would play it? Well, when the when the set comes out, uh, that's the deck I want to put into for standard. So I think it certainly would. Uh, I think like the one the one like it really depends on the deck you're playing, right? Like the with the door to nothingness, the problem that you end up right is that you need a whole lot of mana to actually activate the door. Yeah. Which is why those decks like that version of the deck, right, is really it's ramp as quickly as possible to omniscience, and then you know basically play this, take your extra turn, and then win off of that. So I, I don't necessarily think that deck will play it, but I think you can essentially build a deck that doesn't revolve around the Door to Nothingness uh, piece that will definitely certainly play it. And also for casual players, if you ever play this spell and resolve it and flip over a Spanish-language version of the card, Inquisition of Kozilek, you oh, win no. the world. No. <laughs> Take Nobody your send it to me and I will mail you a reward. <laughs> that seems relatively easy to, you know, set up, Travis. Because <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Exactly. Uh, the world would just break. There we go. Travis got the joke out of his system. We can all move on now. <laughs> all right, Travis. Since you're in a joking mood, what's your card? My card is the best card in the set and probably uh, a candidate for best card in the block. Aurelius Fury. Uh, okay, let's hear you over hype. All right, do I need to read it? 
Sure. Let's hear this. But in your sexiest Spanish accent. <clears throat> Aurelius Fury. It costs a white, a red, and an X. Stop that. That's actually fantastic. I, I think Travis should now on only speak in that voice. <laughs> Aurelius Fury deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or players. Tap each creature dealt damage this way. Players dealt damage this way can't cast non-creature spells this turn. Yeah, that's a real card. See, I think they made a mistake with this. I think this card should read, it deals X damage to target player, and then tap up to X target creatures that player controls, and Aurelius Fury deals 3 damage to each of them. And then you can have the players dealt damage this way, can't cast non-creature spells this turn. Why only 3? You're dreaming small. <laughs> well, it's three damage they dealt to him. I, so that's one uh, angry angel. This is an incredibly versatile card. I mean, think fireball is a classic. Fireball costs one red X, and then you have to pay extra to split the damage to extra creatures. This one, you can just do it however you want. But you have to pay a white. It's worth it. Because then you also get the ability to uh, potentially time walk your opponent. I mean, how great is it going to be to play a, like a, a one-drop and turn two, a two-drop, turn three, a three-drop, and then turn four when your opponent's going to be going for a Wrath? Cast this. I mean, even if they counter it, they can't cast the Wrath. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's just nuts. It's good. Don't go all Evan Irwin on us now. <laughs> um... I don't think this is going to be the card used to kill people. I don't think the X damage is going to be relevant. But that's the thing. It can be. Late game, it can just be the straight to the dome I win. It can be the let me get rid of the, the two to three blockers that are in the way. I mean, you don't have to divide damage evenly. You can do it however you want. So deal one to the Snapcaster Mage and you know three to the uh, Augur of Bolas that's standing in my way. I think it's more an answer... For a lot of decks, the Sphinx's revelation. I, I think that's bad, by the way, Travis. Because if you're doing it as an alpha strike, why would you do that instead of <coughs> one to the Snapcaster, one to the Augur to tap it? Oh, well, yeah, that's better probably. And then the rest of the face. You know. But that's the thing. Like, it's that versatile. We can do that. Like I can, I can certainly see it because like Boros's aggro is definitely going to be a deck in standard. That is, yeah, for sure, for absolutely sure. no doubt. Because, well, there's another card that we'll talk about later. But it certainly gets much more aggressive. I, like, I see it much more as, uh, say, an answer to Sphinx's Revelation, right? Because there are a lot of times where, you know, you'll have your opponent down to, say, six or whatnot, and then you're attacking with lethal, and then they're like, okay, tap out for Sphinx's Revelation, gaining a bunch of life, at which point you can, you know, just dumb them with this. Yeah, but don't forget that it doesn't counter the Sphinx's revelation. That will still resolve. Oh, no, I know, but it's, like, it's punishing them for tapping out, right? Because you have a bunch yeah. of stuff. I, like, I mean, I, <laughs> it's certainly all right. And, you know, if we learned anything from Angel Serenity, the fact that this is an ability that, you know, people can say, oh, well, you know, there's Orm's Chan, which is similar, or there's this, it's, if I, Travis said Fireball, similar. Like, there's nothing that's actually similar to this. There's no card that even does anything close to this. This is like three cards in one. Exactly. I mean, I think X, if, when X is three or more, it's probably going to win the game. 
because it's just the what it can do when it resolves is going to be so changing for the board state. I mean, setting I, up an alpha strike, count, keeping your opponent for, off of wrath or sphinx's think, revelation or whatever. I think what really puts it over the top though is the is the top ability. Yeah, like I mean, the damage is good. Don't get me wrong, and you know, kind of an orm's chant is pretty decent as well. But just being able to like you know, in a turn like tap your team, which is normally uh, an ability that's only blue has, that just kind of really puts it over the top. I mean, I don't even see XS3 winning the game. Like, I, I think you're getting a little carried away there. You you have to divide that three up. So at the most, you're hitting three creatures and they can still cast spells, or you're hitting two creatures and they can't. That's not going to win you that many games, even in their upkeep. XS5 or 6, then we're looking at game-winning quality. But in a Boros Aggro deck... Well, think of it the way they do. Think of it with sort of similar to Sphinx's Revelation. The, it's always the first Sphinx's Revelation that really breaks your back because it keeps them all out that extra turn to cast a bigger Sphinx's Revelation. This is going to be similar. You cast it that turn for three um, to lock them down to where they get into low enough life by either doing an alpha strike or whatever um, to where the next one is going to end the game. Problem. Right, but Here, here's the biggest the, here's difference the, is that Sphinx's Revelation draws you into another one. This doesn't. But here's another situation to think of, right? I, let's say I'm against Travis, and I'm playing Boros Aggro, and he's playing Boros Aggro, right? So it plays cards like Hell... The red decks play cards like Hellrider, and it plays cards... <laughs> sorry, like Thundermaw Hellkite. And, you know, in situations where, you know, you're playing a Hell a Hellrider or you're playing a Thundermaw Hellkite... That's essentially normally going to be game. But, you know, if you have three creatures on the board, and uh, your opponent has three creatures on the board, and he's like, you know, Hellrider going to attacks, and then you're like, in response to four attacks, Aurelius Fury, you know, like, tap down your three creatures, that's extra backbreaking. Yes, absolutely it is. It would will, it will completely swing games. I have a feeling it's going to be one of the most hated cards in a while. I'm, I'm not. Well, I think it's going to be hated more than Bonfire. I'm not no way. See, like that is just like Bonfire is better than this by just infinite. No, I don't agree that it's better um, because of the the sheer variety of effects this has. But Bonfire was so hated because of the miracle. Yeah, in part, but it, it, like it's just I, I I don't get the. There's a lot of people who Travis included who are like this is like. Game over, right? It, it doesn't read game over. It's definitely a good card, and it has interactions that we've never seen before, which means it's going to have an effect somewhere. But it's not like I win the game. I think it will be that. Yeah, well, yeah, I think you're overrating it. It's good, but I don't think it's as good as you do. Okay. All right, my first pick. I'm a big fan of Bob, and I think Dusk Mantle Seer is being underrated by a lot of people. Uh, it's two UB. For a 4-4 flying vampire wizard, at the beginning of your upkeep, each player reveals the top card of his or her library, loses life equal to that card's converted mana cost, then puts it into his or her hand. <laughs> Actually, speaking of Bob, uh, this weekend I played a PTQ where I was playing Jund, and normally I have a bracelet on my wrist, but 
the morning of the PTQ, I couldn't find it. So, and what I do normally is I'll, for my bob trigger, I'll take it off my wrist and then put it on the top of my deck to remember. But since I couldn't find it, uh, I instead brought uh, Bob Marr's uh, Pro Tour player card and put that on top of my deck instead as my reminder. Yeah, this is Bob. Bob has, yeah. Okay. So this guy, anyway, ignoring your completely useless segue, <laughs> Will. Oh, oh. It was good. The reason that not every deck in Modern plays Bob is because some decks want to play cards that cost more than four. I mean, we've all heard the story of people killing themselves by revealing Greater Gargonon to Bob. Uh, that's or called even, having some balls. Or, I've had that happen quite a few times. Or since Travis is on the Spanish uh, part, that's having some cojones. Some huevos. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, though... In addition to giving your opponent the card on your turn, meaning that you get to use your card first, it's also going to make it easier to kill them, because you are set up to take advantage of the low casting cost in your deck with this guy. He is not. So every nickel bolus or omniscience that Will is running to hit off his unexpected results becomes a liability. And also, a 4-4 flyer for 4 is pretty decent on its own. I mean, it just shortens that clock even more. You also know what's going into their hand, so you have the ability to play around whatever they draw. I think it's awful. It says your opponent draws a card. It's it's really going to be a liability if you're behind at all. One, you're giving them cards, and two, you're taking damage. I I can certainly see your point that against the omniscience deck, I can see this coming in from the sideboard. But I don't see you main deck. It's like against the red deck. This is just hi. Please kill me quicker. Okay, but so is Bob. You si- like if you're playing in modern against Burn, do you side out with your Bobs? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We're we're talking about this thing standard implications right now, and yeah, red yeah. is a big portion of the metagame. The other thing, it is the other right thing now. is Bob's not as much of a liability against red decks in modern because a lot of the times, if you can cast him on turn two, he's a blocker. Plus, having four bobs in there at two mana each is going to hurt you a lot less than having four of these things in there at four mana each. Because if you flip another one of these, it's it's a bigger bite. With all the mid-range decks that are around, and frankly, looking at this set, I don't think that's likely to change. There's a lot of powerful mid-range stuff around at the moment. This guy could just kill the opponent off bob triggers on his own, like off the triggers of drawing the cards. I certainly agree, but like out of the sideboard. I don't think this guy is main deckable. Because the problem, uh, the problem, the problem with them is if you're playing against uh, the red deck or the uh, the aggro deck, right? Like Bob dies to any block, but this guy doesn't. This guy kills their dude. Yeah. So you can't so. get rid of him as quickly if you need to. Uh, I think you're uh, underestimating the ability of this card. That plus, do I, think, plus, Bob never really caught on that good in Standard, because Standard can't have as low a mana curve as the Eternal blocks, because there's just not as many good cards at cheaper mana costs in Standard. So you're going to have to skew your mana curve higher with this guy, making him well, even more liability. Well, here, here's the thing, right? Like, if you want to play him, you're essentially playing him in some form of Slade, Demir, maybe splash another color, right? If you're yeah. going to play him, you're essentially saying that this is the highest that your curve goes. Yep. So you're playing a lot of one drops, you're playing a lot of two drops, and you're playing a lot of three drops, which, I mean, you can kind of nickel and dime them, but generally, 
you know, the the control decks of the style that we've seen in the past in standard, while they can nickel and dime their opponents, they usually have a much bigger finisher. So they have a warm okay. oil, they have a Karn, something like but, that. Sure. But let me let me put it to you this way. Mizium Mortars and Cyclonic Rift have a converted mana cost of two, but have huge effects later in the game. Okay. Devil's Play, Rakdos's Return, Bonfire of the Damned, similar thing. You've got the ability to play spells that scale with your mana, but that don't kill you off this guy. Like you could play a big Grixis control deck with this and probably Jace at the top of your curve. Right, but my problem with him like right now is not the fact that he kills you uh, off of the life that you lose. It's the fact that the card you give your opponent is killing you. Unless, of course, you're playing like four Rakdos Return or four Slaughter Games. You, know, you, can, you can strip their hand. I think it's worth testing anyway. It's definitely high on my list of things to test. I, I'm a big fan of Grixis Control ever since Return to Ravnica came out. I, I've enjoyed playing it. And I will, that's definitely going to be one of the starting points for my testing. All right. Okay. Which transitions well, us to the card that I always want to see you flip off of this. Boros Charm. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> choose choose one. Uh, Boros Charm deals four damage to target player. Permanence you control indestructible this turn, or target creature gains double strike until the turn. So this is going in a a Boros aggro deck, and it's pretty backbreaking for against a lot of decks. The four damage is going to be relevant. Uh, the fact that you can basically just blank their wrath is also extremely relevant, and occasionally I guess you can give stuff double strike. All three of those abilities are borderline playable on their own. At two mana. At two mana. Just like with the Selesnia charm. Agreed. It's certainly like, it's the, I think it's the one that like fits into a deck just automatically and, (coughs) excuse me, and it just has abilities that in that deck you always want. Yeah, like, th- that card, it's it's insane. It might be the best card in the set. It's certainly top five. It, I mean, it does exactly what it says on the tin. It kills people. It gives a lot of reach to red-white decks. Also, I mean, none, none of us picked uh, the Boros Reckoner, but we're uh, talking about some testing with a friend of mine who's going to the Pro Tour, and we were talking about the best counter to Bonfire. And everybody wants to run Frontline Medic, but I'm thinking if you run Boros Reckoner, that's the one that deals damage. Whenever it's dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target player. If they bonfire to sweep your board and you Boros Charm, not only are they not killing your dudes, but they're taking a smack to the face. And then you kill them. Whoa, so it's like a little stuffy doll. Yeah. No, they're still wiping your board. No, because you Boros Charm to make everything indestructible. Oh, okay, sorry, I didn't hear that part. Yeah. Which, so, they, like, the other thing that is seems very odd about Boros Charm is the fact that it says permanence and not creatures. Yeah. Like, I think that just really puts it over the top. Like, creatures would be really good, and permanence is just like, suck it, bro. Yeah, so even if they redirect the bonfire damage to your planeswalker, it's not going anywhere either. Hmm... <laughs> Yes, Boros Charm is really good. Oh, you're right. I'm not right about that. Never mind. 
But it's it's going to be seen play in standard. It's going to see play, as we'll discuss later, uh, next episode in modern. It's going to see play in a whole lot of places. It's not going to, you know, make you cry like Bonfire does, but it's certainly not going to make you happy. It's, it's certainly going to make you cry if you cast Bonfire. <laughs> yeah, there's that, too. <laughs> but, yeah, that card is... Yeah, there's just not much more to say about it. The card is ridiculous. It's just another way for red-white to fight Wrath of God effects, which is something that they really needed. Of course, it doesn't stop Mutilate. No, but no one plays that. We play Mutilate. Well, people who play Mutilate might be playing your next card, Travis. Are you sure? I think so. I think those two might be a combo. I'm not sure about that, but okay. (laughs) All right. My next card, if I can get it to pop up so I can read the text to you. Do you like me to read it for you, or are you okay? I've got it. Crypt Gas. Three and a black for a 2-2 spirit. It has Extort, and it says whenever you tap a swamp for mana, add black to your mana pool. You don't have to tap the swamp for black mana. Just if you tap it, you get black mana. Yep. You can tap your Blood Crypt for a red, and you still get a black. So just when I said that uh, I think... There might be a combo. I mean, they'll be seen in the same deck. Okay. It's like, uh, no, I'm pretty sure Mutilate costs four regardless. I think this card is being criminally underrated. And I think it's because Nirkana Revenant was in, uh, was it Innistrad block? No, Zendikar. Zendikar block. And it didn't see any play, but there is a world of difference from a six-mana creature and a four-mana creature. I mean, casting this guy on turn three... And then tapping on turn four with access to ten mana is crazy. Even if you untap it and only get like eight or nine mana, that's still crazy. It might even be more than that because of the fact that, you know, you're going to be running Liliana of the Dark Realms in this deck. And if she ever gets to ultimate, yeah. The I mean, he is fragile. The 2-2, he's easy to die. Yes. But you're also playing black. It's not that hard for you to cast a turn three, I don't know, Rakdos return to strip some cards or um, duress to make sure they don't have a way to kill it. Play it the next turn. If they don't top deck a way to kill it, then you get then tap with all the manas. Who's playing Rakdos charm on turn three? Rakdos return on turn three is terrible. Return, yeah. <laughs> well, if, you're playing a ramp, if you're playing like a black-green ramp where you far seek on turn two so you can hit it for two at least... <laughs> Yeah. Maybe they played out cards and they only have... I mean, if you're playing an aggro deck and they only have like three or four cards in hand, it's not that bad. And then you're you're mutilating the turn before you cast this. That too. You can mutilate the turn after. Yeah, that seems bad. (laughs) The other thing that makes this thing better is Nakana Revenant is that since it costs four, if you cast it on, say, turn six, then you get to use the mana immediately. To cast another one. Exactly. Or something else. You're uh, Liliana. Yeah, but if you have a Nirkana Revenant and you have, you know, Tabit for six with six swamps, you have essentially a 16-16 the next turn. Mm, true enough. Yeah, but I just think it's it's got a, definitely got potential to have a deck built around it. Also, I think the black is being criminally underrated in general. Like, Liliana the Dark Realms is not getting anywhere near enough respect. It's good now. It's only going to get better when... Plus wanting her can get you any color of mana you need. And this guy, I think, the, don't sleep on that extort mechanic. Like, as soon as he hits the board, you untap, you have access to minimum eight mana. You know, probably ten. 
Yeah, extort gets my vote for best mechanic in the set. So if you cast, what? like, duress and dragon for one... Nope, you obviously evolve. No, it's clearly battalion. <laughs> so long as it's not cypher or blood rush, apparently. <laughs> yeah, blood rush is, like... I mean, I, not to be insulting or anything, but that's about as lazy a mechanic as you can come up with. <laughs> but I think... Let's have a 4-4 four, four for 6. But what does it do? If you tap 5, you can discard it, and another creature gets plus 4, plus 4. There's no really, like, I was expecting some, like, insanely cool Blood Rush dude. I was I was expecting, like, a 2-1-for-1 one one that you could use as a giant growth or something. Oh, no, but even then, like, something like, I don't know, like, some, like, 4-4-for-6, four, four but, like, you know, discard it for 2, and it gets, like, you know, plus 1-plus one, plus 1, and say, like, First Strike or Trample, something like that. They're all, like, it's uh, it's all essentially, like, if it's a 3-1, then the creature gets plus 3-plus 1. The two two the creature gets plus two plus two. I think you're criminally underrating Blood Rush, especially in limited. But we're not talking about that right oh, now. Oh yeah, in limited it's fine, but like I don't expect to see any Blood Rush cards being cast against being uh, constructed. So my next card is one that I think combos not only with Travis's pick of Blood Gas, but also my earlier pick of Dust Mantle Seer, and that's uh, Obsidat Ghost Council. So he is one double white, double black. For a legendary spirit advisor, when he enters the battlefield, target opponent loses two life and you gain two life. And at the beginning of your end step, you may exile him. If you do, return it to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of your next upkeep, and it gains haste. I'm not sure you understand what combo with means. Between this and mutilate, this is just a one-card combo. This, But this mitigates the life loss from Dust Mantles here. Right... So, it's a 5-5 five, five for 5 that drains for 2 when it enters the battlefield, which it can do every turn. And it can also swing for 5 every turn because it gains haste. Which is weird, because white and black doesn't have anything with haste. Uh, black sometimes gets haste. Sometimes, but like there's, in terms of like fatties with haste, there's Spirit of the Night. Yeah. That's about all I can think of, too. Uh, well, Scytherix could gain it. That's about it. But, I mean, it, you, you pretty much had to give it haste, otherwise it would be terrible with that exile ability. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, for, for sure. But uh, even then, I don't think it would be terrible. Like, it would be fantastic, but it, it would be all right. So, I, I mean, I just think it's, it's a really powerful card, no question. And I think in a control deck, it could just be the finisher of choice. It's immune to sorceries if you want it to be. It's hard to d deal with in terms of dealing damage to it, because, I mean, it's got five toughness. It's not going to die to much. Oh, it says you may. Yeah, oh, you don't have oh, to. I thought you had to. No, 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 no. I don't think it really matters. You can block with this if necessary. Uh -oh. Although it will probably die if you do. It's a 5-5. Five, five. Yeah, but if you're keeping it back to block, you're in dire straits. Well, not necessarily. I mean, if you're facing down a bunch of 1-1s and 2-2s and you just want to start keep getting them off the board. Also, if if you want to do something disgusting, you can, like, exile this and then somehow play an instant speed board sweeper. If there's such a thing. Sure there is. Aurelius Fury. 
Well, that doesn't affect your creatures anyway. No, there's uh, Alchemist is Refugi. <laughs> yeah, anyway. No, seriously, I keep seeing people play that in standard. But they don't call it Refugi. <laughs> they should be calling it Refugi. Well, Moving on along. <laughs> the only thing I can see is that it size maybe a liability with Celestia Charm in the format. Yeah, in fact, I remember reading somewhere that they made it a 5-5 specifically because of Celestia Charm. Otherwise, this thing is just really difficult to kill. Of the cards that are played, Ultimate Price doesn't get it. Uh, the only burn spell that gets it is Brimstone Volley with uh, Morbid. You know what does get it, though? What's that? Killing Glare. Uh, sure. No, that's not my <laughs> next card, though. That's not I think it's awesome though. that you can murder a ghost council. <laughs> <laughs> Victim of Night also gets it. Well played, Travis. Well played. You know who doesn't need a refuge, eh? Gideon, champion of justice. Yeah, that's right. I went. We're, I went for the awful transition slash segue. Or I guess uh-huh. it'd be segue. No, that probably doesn't work. Yeah, uh, so Gideon is. Uh, he has four loyalty. He's uh, two white mana, white mana, uh, plus one. Put a loyalty counter on Gideon, champion of justice, for each creature target opponent controls. Uh, zero ability, he becomes a creature that's human, soldier, indestructible, with power toughness equal to the number of uh, loyalty counters on him, and prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn. So, basically, they decide to add an indestructibility clause to him, because prevent all damage wasn't enough. And then beating out Karn for the highest costing ultimate of all is, at negative 15, is exile all other permanents. Which people, I've not seen anybody mention that, you know, that works really nicely if you have a Thrag Tusk on your side of the board. I suppose so. It doesn't work so nicely if your opponent has a Thrag Tusk on their side of the board. (laughs) No, or if they O-ringed your first Gideon. (laughs) (laughs) Or if Obzadat has been exiled and waiting to come back into play. Unless it was exiled by, you know, you. Oh, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) No, that doesn't work either. Um, let me think here. But you could O-ring your own thing. Or Detention Sphere your own thing. This is just getting silly. Okay. So, case in point, I have no idea why this minus 15 is on uh, Gideon. Like, it, it completely makes no sense whatsoever. There should be, like, some way of interacting with the board, like old Gideon. But, anyways, I digress. Uh... He's getting, like, a really bad rap. Yes. And he's not that bad. I agree. He is. Okay, I'm sorry. I've heard people say Tapal was better. Like, you know, at some point it's like, calm down with your hyperbole. Yeah, Tapal was not better. (laughs) First Soren was probably better. Uh, Not not even First Soren. First, um... What's the red-green one? Sarkin? Sarkinval. Yeah, first Sarkinval was probably better. That did see play, though. Which is more... This could see play in control-on-control matchups. He can be a house. Yeah. But with the way the format is right now, with it being mostly mid-range, I mean, if he comes down, most likely your opponent's going to have very few creatures. Maybe two. And they're going to be large. 
So his way of protecting himself is just growing. And that's not really not going to hold up. I mean, if your opponent's got a Thrag Tusk, woohoo, he goes to five, they attack. Oh well. Right, but he's in colors that have access to rats. Okay, you're going to pay, play him for four and wrath on the same turn? You're playing turn eight? <laughs> no, what you do is you have a Crypt Gas in play, obviously. Well, Jeez. that works too. <laughs> yeah, see? Now Crypt Gas is good. But no, at worst, like, you know, you're, you're constantly doing like Chris is, wrathing the board, nickel and diming your opponent. You know, <laughs> you play this, and if your opponent has no board, then, you know, take him up, he becomes a 5-5 next turn when he attacks. But if they have no board, don't you kind of win anyways? Holy crap. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's, a, a, it's a ghost council. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm I'm your ghost daddy from beyond the grave of Horde of Notions. And uh, I'm just here to say uh, the set sucks, uh, except for a few commander staples, and you as players can do better. What's going to be really funny is if the listeners you guys have now have no idea who I am. I don't have any idea who you are. That hurt my heart. I'm going to go record my other podcast now. Good I'm day, sir. I don't know who you are. <laughs> like you have a heart. Good day, sirs. <laughs> Donuts and cognac where your heart used to be. Come on, quick. The Jack LaCroix top three uh, commander cards. You do know he's gone, right? <laughs> Did he? Oh, what a jerk. Jack LaCroix, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so... Uh, with that interlude over and done with, I actually don't mind Gideon at all. I think he has potential to do things in the right deck. He's not uh, a control staple like Gideon Jura was at all. He's not, though, terrible like Travis thinks he is. Although I will admit he is the I second don't best planeswalker in this set. He's what? He's the second best planeswalker in this set. <laughs> No, there are no good Planeswalkers in the set. And the top three commander cards are the green Primordial, the black Primordial, and the blue Primordial. You are welcome. <laughs> What's wrong with the white Primordial? <laughs> well, Chris, you can't even come up with a justifiable reason to like it in your article. <laughs> like, come on. Are there, are there any cards that are playable that are not Primordials? Um, in all honesty, uh, I think Aurelia herself is a very playable commander or a uh, great support card in Kalia. I think Lazav is ridiculous. I think, he, I think he has the potential to be really scary. Um, there are already a lot of really good copy generals out there, though, is the problem. Um, I could see where you could get into the potential of adding black for tutors and stuff like that, but... Uh, the only other commander card that I would really consider, and I, I'm saying this very briefly because me and Travis will get into a whole discussion on it, is I think Aurelio's Fury is actually much better in this format than it would be in the other formats that are unimportant uh, because of the mammoth amount of ramp you have available to you. So what Jack is saying is that you're wrong, Travis. I just think it's awesome everywhere. Uh, I seem to remember that the last time Travis and Jack disagreed on a card, it ended up costing Jack a bottle of whiskey. So. No, no, no. Actually, I didn't send him the whiskey because I never actually had enough money to send Travis the whiskey I wanted to buy him. I wanted to buy him some Strahanans, I think is how you pronounce it. So instead, I sent Travis an item of much more uh, incredible value. A pair of Jack. Of much awesomeness. Yes. And gentlemen, on that I bid you adieu again. Ciao. It was a foil swarmyard, swarmyard wasn't yes. it? Yes. 
I saw a guy with a place <laughs> with a collection of those. He had like eight, nine in his binder. Foil ones? Yep. Wow. Alright, let's, let's, uh, move along to Travis's next pick. It is Prime Speaker Zagana. Pretty sure it's for Zagana. No, it's Zagana. As, as, as a Protoss fan, it's Zelnaga. Yeah. It is two colorless, two green, and two blue. It is a legendary creature, Merfolk Wizard. It says Prime Speaker Zagana enters the battlefield with X plus plus one ca- plus one plus one counters on it, where X is the greatest power among other creatures you control. And when Prime Speaker Zagana enters the battlefield, draw cards equal to its power. It starts out as a one one. So what you do is you play Thragdusk on turn five and then play this on turn six. And then you blink it with the angel on turn seven. Yeah. Alright. My buddy Mark absolutely adores this card. It's making him tentpole. <laughs> I'm not convinced. I-, I am convinced. I think it's going to be very good. Just be- well, at least as long as Thrag Tusk is in the format, because even if they kill the Thrag Tusk, the 3 3 comes, comes around, you get a 4 4 and draw 4 cards, and that's fantastic for 6 mana. It's certainly better than Dust Mantle Seer. Uh, no. Actually, I'd rather pay two extra mana to draw the same amount of cards and not lose life and not have my opponent draw cards. Right, but the thing is, this can you imagine, like, top-decking this after a Wrath? Is there a worse card to top-deck after a Wrath? I mean, it's still Cantrips, worst case. And then, while it's in play, you have the potential to Restoration Angel it down the road. Wait, 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 wait. So, you're willing to pay six mana for a card that says 1-1 one, one, draw card? If I have to, yes. For, go, for the potential of the fact that that card could draw me more cards down the road and grow down the road. Get off the show. <laughs> hey, if I'm, run, I'm serious. If I'm running Restoration Angels on the deck, this is the only card in my hand after Wrath, I'll run it out there. I, I don't even know what to say to that. I agree. That way, if you resto it, you draw four cards. I, I can't believe I'm hearing this. You guys are actually serious, right? Yes, now. I play Elvis Visionary all the time. What's what's a few extra mana? Um, it's four extra mana. <laughs> I oh my god! I, I I think it's fine. I'm not on board with Chris that it's the worst card in the set. I don't remember saying that at all. Pretty we we can we can have Kyle do a rewind, but I'm pretty sure your exact words were, "This is the worst card in the set." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Kyle edited our podcast, we would do a lot more of them, just saying. Um, <laughs> Kyle, get on it. This will definitely see some serious play. I think we should have one episode where we refer to Kyle needing, requiring editing or adding stuff in the entire episode. <laughs> and then never get it put in. <laughs> I know he does listen to the show, so... Shout out to Kyle. It's the A-Team and come with us. We're still on MTG cast. They got cast off. Oh, also, um, we won't make your life miserable. Yeah. Have you met me? (laughs) Like, really? Sadly, yes. Anyway, yeah, I I mean, the card obviously has potential to draw you a stupid number of cards. No question. Uh, What is a stupid number of cards? Well, we were talking today about the possibility of playing this with Wolfia Silverheart. Sure. Which is, yeah. That's nine cards. 
Mm. Okay, yeah, I guess you'd you'd stack the triggers so that this one comes after the uh, the silver yeah. one. Exactly. So it would come in. It would get four plus one plus one counters, and then you bond it, and then you draw the cards. So it ends up. So being you're nine saying that nine is a stupid number. That is a stupid number of cards okay. for six. I cards. think you but need to apologize. That means the thing would end up being at what a thirteen thirteen. No, it would be a nine nine. But then it would get the plus four bonus for being bonded. It would be, be a thirteen thirteen. No, it wouldn't. It comes in as a one one yeah. with four plus one plus one counters, making it a five five. Then it bonds and gets plus four plus four, sure. making it a nine nine. Okay, then just bring it in after the wolf ears already bonded to something else and make it a, a huge monster. That would still come in and draw you nine cards. Yeah, so you and play Silver Heart, then you play Thrag Tusk, and then you play Zalnaga. <laughs> yeah, um, no. But the, 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 this, it's stupid. It really is. Are you going to apologize to the number nine for calling it stupid? No, I'm not. Well, then... We're going to have a problem on our hands. <laughs> so, yes, this is one of the cards I pre-ordered for the set, because I really think it's going to be that powerful. It slots right into the band decks that I'm already playing. Because Travis is a terrible person that feels no need to actually resolve, finish game ones. Hey, now I have a way to finish game ones we'll talk about later. Yeah, I think you do as well. Uh, right, my next card is Night Vale Spectre. This is the buy a box promo, I believe. What it is, uh, is freaking sweet. Uh, that is also the case. So, Night Vale Spectre is three Demir Mana, so Demir, 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 for a 2-3 flyer. <laughs> I like that you just say Demir, 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 and not explain what Demir Mana is. Blue-black hybrid, everybody knows that. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, that player exiles the top card of his or her library. You may play cards exiled with Night Vale Spectre. When this got spoiled, the first thing that I thought of was, okay, now the flavor text on uh, Chromatic Lantern makes sense, because that talks about Demir Mages using it. But if I'm going to be playing five-color black, which I think I am, this card is definitely going in there, because I'm going to be able to play anything that I exile. Even if also, you're not, I mean, if, you, if it hits multiple times, you get their lands to cast their spells. That was what I was about to get to, See, yeah. Personally, I think this is missing something. I think this card should just say, uh, I should have one more line of text that says, Cascade into Chromatic Lantern. I mean, three mana for a two-three flyer that can potentially ramp your, well, it doesn't ramp you, but make sure you never miss a land drop. Well, it's better than Hypnotic Spectre, right? For sure. In terms of the power toughness? Yeah. And it also, like, it doesn't take cards out of their deck, out of their hand. But it does, you know, it does the same sort of thing. It gives you potential card advantage. Right, and, and well, it, it, it functionally draws a card every time it hits. It's functionally a looter. It's just you draw one of your opponent's cards instead of one of yours. Like, that's it, right? Because, I mean, there's times with something like a hypnotic specter effect that they're just like, okay, well, I'm going to empty my hand, so... Sure, I take two. And like they were saying at the Star City Open this weekend, you can't beat the top of someone's deck with a discard effect. You know, and that's so basically this is taking the top of someone's deck away from them. Well, then they'd have another top of someone's deck. But. Well, sure, but you know, like, especially if, if they're stacking their deck in some way, 
which, I mean, in standard right now isn't possible, but this is going to be around for a year. I mean, think about how demoralizing it would be to play a Thrag Tusk off of this. I mean, not only do you get to have the Thrag Tusk, but you're reducing your opponent's chances of getting one as well. I'm pretty sure it's much more demoralizing if you play a Bonfire of the Dam off of this. Uh, you can't miracle it, though. No, but whatever. One, you're like, haha, you were going to miracle Bonfire next turn. <laughs> And at worst case scenario, you can play it. But mostly the fact that you can go, haha, you were going to miracle bonfire next turn. Yeah. Sphinx is revelation off this. Oh, yeah, Dad. Or Boros Charm giving it double strike and drawing two. See, I think the, I think the extra effect that this has is it's kind of demoralizing for your opponent. Like, you know, if they get, and the other thing is, right, they can get, you can get the, their lands. So at worst case scenario, even if you don't have the mana fixing, you steal like one or two lands, you can then cast their spells anyways. Yeah. And you're not going to miss a land drop, like we said earlier. Well, you also, imagine how much fun it's going to be to put someone on tilt. Say their mana's screwed, and you hit them with this, and you draw a land. And then they draw for their turn, and they don't draw a land. And then you hit them again and draw a land. So, mostly the reason you should be playing this card is to tilt your opponent. It's a decent card, but add in the tilt factor, it just sends it all the way through. The oh, board. yeah. Or in the reverse, if they're just drawing land after land, and you're getting, like, Thrag Tusk, Sphinx Revelation. <laughs> this is definitely is a D-bag card. Travis, <laughs> I approve. Travis is only very evil. Just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Not quite as bad as Murder Franadina. Right. I'm squirrel evil. Yes, well, that's extra evil. Which, I already told Travis, I have a pile of 100 squirrel tokens in front of me. Those are the squirrel tokens. You're welcome. I, I thought that was Travis making a mess. <laughs> which brings us to our next card, or at least my next card, which is Biovisionary. Uh, they seem to have done a much better job of coming up with cards that win you the game in ridiculous fashion, and this happens to be one of them. So, Biovisionary is a 2-3 for uh, a green, a blue, and one colorless mana, and reads, at the beginning of your end step, if you control four more creatures named Biovisionary, you win the game. <laughs> Which means that, well, especially in Commander, with stuff like Rite of Replication, but in Standard, currently, you have Infinite Reflection, you have uh, Cackling Counterpart, or at worst, you have the uh, that Cypher clone thing, I forgot what it's called. Uh, stolen property, I stolen think. Stolen identity. Yeah. You also have clone and evil twin. You could also use back from the brink. You have tons of stuff. Or, at worst case scenario, you can seance it and then Tristani it. Yeah, that also works. So, it's, aren't you in a, a competition with KYT and Medina over this? Yeah, we're trying to see who can win the most games at FNM with Biovisionary. Which, I think we should open this up to every listener. Every listener, go at, listeners, go out, build by a visionary decks, and you compete to beat Lansdale, Medina, and KYT. Almost no, 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 no. No. What we should do is open it up to the listeners to help us, their favorite podcast, <laughs> defend our honor against those rogues from the 18. We can do that too. So, and then what we'll do is we'll convince Medina to put up some prize for it, and then you can win that prize. Well, yeah, and, Tra- we'll and Travis and I will split it. <laughs> Agree, Travis. That's hard to do. I mean, really, a black gr- a bug deck. You could use Jared's order to get two copies. Put one in the graveyard, one in your hand. 
use back from the brink to bring back the copy, use populate effects to... Yeah, it wouldn't be that hard to get four. It's the, well, getting four is not the problem. Keeping four is going to be the problem. Right, but see, the thing is, is unlike all the other win-the-games, which are at the beginning of your upkeep, this is at the beginning of your end step. Oh, yeah, it, it does it straight away. Yeah, I know that. So it does make it a little easier, but still. No, what you do is at the beginning of your turn, you play Aurelio's Fury targeting your opponent, and then you have BioVisionary shenanigans to win the game. Oh, look at all the colors. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, outside of Legacy, right? Well, obviously, Modern that has fetch lands. Like, you have access to every color mana possible. Yeah, this, like, four color deck should be the norm after this set. Yeah, I, I mean, they already were, but, like, at this rate, you know, the Ghost Quarter might as well just read Strip Mine. Which, uh, by the way, I was playing four of this weekend, and it basically did quite often just read Strip Mine. Yeah, no one plays Basics. I was playing lots of Basics, and it was awesome. Yeah, well, there's something wrong with you two, though. We're, we'll have you check by a doctor on, uh, tomorrow. That sounds awesome. That way I don't have to go to work. Um... Yeah, BioVisionary is a fun card, no question, and it's going to be definitely an achievement for me to unlock to win with it, so I'm not uh, not too shabby at all on that pick there, Mr. Will. Now, going from stuff that's fun to Travis being a uh, silly sport. Awesome, awesome. Going going on with his guild mages. Travis, take it away. Vizcopa, Vizcopa, however you want to say it, guild mage. A white and a black mana for a 2-2, of course. Human wizard. First ability, cause a colorless, a white, and a black. Target creature gains lifelink until end of turn. That's okay, but it's the second ability that really turns this card on. For another colorless, white, and a black, whenever you gain life this turn, each opponent loses that much life. <laughs> so, I mean, apart from the fact that there's an infinite combo in standard with Exquisite Blood, which is just deal of damage, win the game. Okay, well, yeah, which, by the way, Exquisite Blood is now $3. Because that makes sense. Hey, two-card <laughs> I-win combos are are pretty strong. You need six mana to activate and give it lifelink. You don't even need to give it lifelink. You just need to gain life any way at all. Right, but Travis said two-card combo. So if you want need if you need a third card to gain lifelink, then that's a three-card combo. Have you read Exquisite Blood? Yeah, it says whenever you gain life. Okay. Whenever an opponent loses life. Right. So you just need to attack with the guild mage. Right, because no one's going to have blockers for a 2-2 on turn 5. No, that's that's true, they will, but it's still a two-card combo, potentially, that wins the game immediately. Yes. See, I get the combo, but I just want to slot this thing right into my Rock's Faith Mender decks. Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't play black right now, does it? I had a version that does. I was also running with Soren and Lord of Innistrad. Yeah, you know what I want to do, though, is put Disciple of Bolas in that deck. Oh, yeah, and Vampire Nighthawk. Vampire Nighthawk's very good. But, but yeah. I mean, just so that our listeners don't get too worried, uh, Chris and Travis are aware that there is another color in there are other colors in Magic except for black. They are just very focused on it for this set review. For, for this segment, for standard. But black, green, white, I was already running it anyway for a, a Faith Mender deck. I mean, I mean, this thing just 
has so much potential value in a deck like that. Just being able to, um, I mean, curve this thing out with a turn four Faith Mender, turn five, say, Thrag Tusk, turn six, attack with a Thrag Tusk, give it lifelink, hit this ability, take ten. Even if you block it, you're taking ten damage. And I'm gaining life. He's got a point. He has tons of points. It doesn't mean they're good. <laughs> or, I mean, also you just put Tristani in. Hey, look, I'm playing creatures, and you're losing life just because they're coming into play. I mean, think, uh, having a Tristani in play with this guy and then just playing Centaur Healer, they take six damage. Yep. <laughs> and if you also happen to have a Faithmender, hey, they take 12. I mean, it's just got yeah. so much potential. Right. For this that I already have that I love playing. Yeah, we we kind of get that impression there, uh, Travis. You still need to activate it. Yeah, it does. I mean, the activation does mean that you know, it does. Th- these things are happening on a fairly late turn, right? Right. So if there's nothing the that deck is good at. It's getting to late turns. Uh, that I think even Will would have to agree with. That deck getting to late turns. You know what the worst thing against this deck is? Is they're gonna play a Gideon and they're gonna exile all your stuff because <laughs> you haven't done anything in like a hundred turns. Seriously. <laughs> all right. So if Travis's deck becomes a thing, we found the sideboard tech for it. So if I if I have a Tristani in play with the Rock's Faith Mender, and I activate this ability, and then I blink the Faith Mender. With an angel, how much damage is that? What is... Uh, <laughs> just like, my my brain just blew up. Let's see. Eight, ten. Give up. Please All give of up. the damage. Please give up. For the, for the love of our <laughs> listeners. Cause so, yeah, uh, you, know what's gonna ha- you know what's going to happen with this idea? is As soon as this episode comes out, I'm getting a message from Joshua Lemish saying how this is like the greatest thing ever, and he can't believe that I disagreed with Travis on it. Yeah, you know what, though? You're not going to be the only one getting that message. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. He's probably going to get it as well. Which brings us to Chris's next card. Does it? Sure. Let's say KYT's <laughs> favorite card is Lightning Helix. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, Lightning Helix is a perfectly acceptable card, you know, and I mean, I was going to pick up a foil of it until I realized that a foil Lightning Helix is $13, and I don't actually want to spend $13 on a foil Lightning Helix. Um, so, Fire Main Avenger, so it's two white-red for a 3-3 flyer, and it says Battalion. Whenever Fire Main Avenger and at least two other creatures attack... Fire Main Avenger deals three damage to target creature or player, and you gain three life. You couldn't just say Battalion at Lightning Helixes? Sure I could. Okay. But I like to hear myself talk. Oh, don't I know it. So, I I think this card, like, if Battalion becomes a thing, and I really hope it does, this card is probably one of the better ones with Battalion. Well, you know what the problem with this card is? Is that I believe for the Battalion mechanic it was the one that was spoiled. Yeah. And it Battalion kind of fell off a cliff after that. Um, there are some good cards with Battalion, but like you don't need Battalion in order to make 
Sorry, not everything you attack with has to have battalion, right? Like as long as you have. Oh no, no, I agree. Yeah. But battalion lightning helix is by far the best ability. Is by far the best one. I don't know. Frontline medics making them indestructible is pretty good. People forget that ability because they're all too busy focusing on, no, why does it counter Sphinx's revelation? That's so dumb. More importantly, they're all like, oh, Frontline Medic is amazing. That's not. Grow up, people. It's, it's pretty good. Medic! This is but, why yeah. I think Extort is the best ability in the set. All of the others, Battalion, I mean, Cypher, Blood Rush, all of them, you have to have a creature in play for them to be worth a thing. No. Like extort is on uh, non-creature permanence. Exactly. That's why I said extort is the best ability in the set. Oh, okay. That's the point okay. I'm making. Yeah. I mean, evolve. You have to continually have creatures. See, by that logic, I'd say that I. By that logic, I'd say blood rush is the best ability in the set. It can only be used on an attacking creature. Right, but you can also just play that creature out. Yeah, meaning it's more viable, more flexible. Anyway, I, I really like Five, five Main Adventure for some reason. Uh, I think Odric might see a spike in price uh, if Battalion does become a thing. Odric's ability is insane for four mana. Like it, it just basically wins you the game when, if you attack with him and, and three other creatures, which incidentally will also trigger Battalion. But doesn't that mean that it doesn't? It's not boding well for Battalion since Odric has been out. His ability's nuts, and you're still having trouble having him see play because reliably having at least three creatures on the board isn't something you should count on. Great, right? But having all the the haste that's around right now, and the ability to play black, white, red, which I think <laughs> is the best color combination for this ability. To to have the mana fixing for that what? color combination now. Why are you playing oh, yeah. black in Battalion? Because of the uh, things like Falcon Wrath Aristocrat. Like you, you want to have access to those haste creatures. Then you just play Hellrider. Sorry, Hellrider. Hellrider. Well, you're going to be playing that for sure. So you're playing. I think Chris is cool it's just to play all the four drops. You can also play. Um, green, I guess, with like Stranglerood guys. Would you consider just splashing a couple of the uh, battalion cards into like the black red zombies deck? I mean, between uh, messenger and uh, between messenger and gravecrawler, though, you have a way to have a much more reliable creature on the board. Yeah, and uh, well, Stranglerood guys fills that role too. Don't forget. I think that you, Red is awesome with things like Ash Zealot in the core set as well. That wasn't core, that was Return to Ravnica. Never mind. Uh, best flavor text in the set, though, goes to Totally Lost. Yes. <laughs> How do you pronounce that thing's name? Flipped. <laughs> yeah, Had all his hated crowds. On the off chance for people that don't know, Flipped is spelled F B L T H T P. Bleep. No, he, right. not, last time around, Will, what is your last cut? The best planeswalker in the set. Dun, dun, dun. Pardon? I don't think any of us is going to disagree with that. All right. It is Dummy Rad, who starts off with three loyalty. He costs one, a red, and a green. Uh, it's plus one ability. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. His minus two ability is target creature you control, if it's another target creature. Uh, 
And as minus seven ability is you get an emblem with creatures you control have double strike, trample, hexproof, and haste. Which is just pretty much all the abilities you could want. Yeah. You have an emblem with you win creature combat. (laughs) (laughs) See, I would have nicknamed this card the instigator because all he does is look for dudes and start fights. Right. Now, I think there's a lot of people that are underwriting this because... It, like it essentially, if you build your deck correctly, fifty percent of the time it'll hit his plus one ability. So fifty percent of the time you're drawing a card, which most people say is not great. But if you're playing in red green, it actually is very decent. And the other thing is that you can easily go turn one something like an arbor elf, and then turn two play this, which can create a headache for something like a control deck because you can consistently just you know gain card advantage by popping out dudes. So what you're saying is that 50% of the time, it works every time. Yes. That's terrible. <laughs> but I, I, like, I, I don't... I don't yeah, it made a lot more sense when they would spoil Blood Rush. Yeah. I mean, you right. can't really underestimate his fight ability. That can, it can pretty much remove things. Well, here, here's the scale, right? Like, it seems to be like the scale for Planeswalkers goes from this. It has two Planeswalkers, one on both ends. It has Jason Mind Sculptor as the greatest card ever, and it has Tabalt as, like, the worst card ever. And there seems to be, like, no in-between ground. People are like, oh, well, this is a Jason Mind Sculptor, so it's bad. But when you're looking at these colors, like, red doesn't have a good Planeswalker. I think that's the problem. I think... We've we're gotten to the point where when there's a red planeswalker, we're like, eh, it's going to suck. It's red. Which, I mean, can be a fair assessment to a certain extent. But this... The other thing is, like, three-drop planeswalkers generally are very good. A Johnny notwithstanding. So Jace is very good. Uh, I was about to say Olivia again. Lilia the Veil is very good. A Johnny is still very good in the right deck. It's it's an awful card. Give it up. No. It's going to be good in some of the Evolve decks. Yes. <laughs> With something like Gyre Sage or Fathom Mage. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, I like Domri. Um The ability to just draw extra creatures seems fine. And, like, we're very much at... There's... Essentially, you have the aggro deck, and there's the very much higher and mid-range decks. So against the aggro decks, obviously, he's probably not as good, although most of the aggro decks will probably be focusing on trying to kill you instead of trying to kill this. But against the mid-range decks, you know, like, yeah, they have Thrycus, but, you know, Thrycus comes down on turn four. So at worst, even if you're able to cast them on turn three without the acceleration, you still get, you know, two activations before they're able to far-seek into a Thrycus. Yeah. And if he ever ultimates, the game is pretty much over. Unless you don't have creatures. Well, yeah. But that emblem is sticking around. Yes. So pretty much anything off the top of your deck is is very It's going to be a beating. Goblin rally, get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Travis, your last card. Even Dust Mantle steer is good with that emblem. Shut up. <laughs> Hey, he might have found a way for Dusk Mantle uh, Seer to be good for you, Chris. Shut up, both of you. Travis, your last card? Dusk Mantle Guild Mage. It uh-huh. costs a blue and a black for 
a 2-2, human wizard, of course. First ability, one colorless, a blue and a black. Whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere this turn, that player loses one life. Which in and of itself isn't bad. I mean, it's an incremental way for them to lose life. But the second ability says, two, a blue and a black. Target player puts the top two cards from his or her library into his or her graveyard. First ability is the one that's really getting the buzz because it's a... Another two-card combo auto-win with Jace Memory Adapt. No, it's not an auto-win, because you still need to have that sixth land to activate it twice. But it's a two-card auto-win if you have six mana. But if you can mill them with a Minecrank in play... Yes, that's what I'm going to be talking about when we get the Modern Will. I think this is a combo card. If there's one thing I've learned in all my years of playing Magic... Is never underestimate a combo with blue mana in the in the cost. Here's, here's the problem with this combo of the Viscopa Guild Mage and the Dustmaster Guild Mage. It requires mana to activate. Yes. Like we're at a point in Magic where creatures are so good that it should not require mana. Like if they require mana to activate, they are less good. But they don't tap well. So say you play a Jace on turn five, you stall the game, you wrath, you wrath. You can go turn eight, just play this guy, immediately activate him twice, and win. So your plan... <laughs> for a blue deck, that's really not that hard to do for blue-black. No, 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 I mean, you no, just... No, no, what... So you're you're playing Jace turn five, and Jace is still going to be around on turn eight, and you have it won? <laughs> Can't you just mill them? <laughs> Well, I'm just saying that's worst case. Best case is you play Jace on turn five and you win turn six. That's very true. It's just the paying mana to activate stuff. It like it doesn't sit well with me. Maybe it's just me. Okay, maybe it is. But my next card certainly should sit well with you since you're very familiar with it, and that's Blind Obedience. But do so. Blind Obedience is an enchantment for a white and a colorless with extort. And it says, artifacts and creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. Being able to play this on turn two against red-black aggro nullifies a lot of the power of Hellrider. Well, no, not Hellrider. Uh, but Hellrider. And definitely Thundermore Hellkite. It makes haste irrelevant. And it basically ma- means that blockers ha- take a turn to become active. Uh... Kismet never really saw much play at four mana except in stasis decks. But this is cheaper and doesn't affect lands. I think in an aggro deck, this not only gives you reach with the extort... Which is awesome. But it also means that it's easier to do things like mitigate the life gain from Thragtusk because you can just attack straight through it the turn it comes down. Yes, I think this is going to be very good. Just the fact that it is an enchantment with extort is going to be good because you can just slowly bleed them throughout the game. And there are just like whole decks that have no way of dealing with an enchantment. Can we agree that these mechanics, though, are very lazy? You know, I think there's something to be said for the fact that they have just made ten brand new mechanics over two sets. Right, but if you read most of the... uh like, if you read where the mechanics came from, they just took them from, like, the great designer search. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know, they have to get them from somewhere. Space. Sure. 
So that's our picks uh, for standard cards that we think slash hope will make some waves in the new format. Uh, please do let us know what you are hoping to see or what you're planning to build around. We'd love to hear from you either in comments on our Facebook page, uh, on Twitter, or even via email at uh, hosts.holdofnotions.com. Hold up a second. You said we would love to hear from you. Uh, when we say you, we mean everyone except for Joshua Lemish. No, no, we'd like to hear from Joshua okay. Lemish as well. Only Chris wants to hear from Joshua Lemish. Did, didn't you set up that filter I sent you? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, uh, you see, that's why. Mm. They just all automatically go to Adina. She loves hearing from him. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't mind hearing from him. You can send them to me. Okay, we'll do that too. Send all hate mail to Travis as well. That's right. Bring it. it. Yeah, ja- ja- since Jack's not really on the cast anymore, someone else needs to get the hate mail. So, on that note, we will wrap this baby up. So, for the absent Adina, for Will, and for Travis, this is Chris saying join us again next time for another exciting episode of Horde of Notion. The Lacerai continues to the Super Bowl, baby. <laughs> <laughs>